Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Meg Van Dusen for part one of their discussion on how modern culture is creating barriers to human attachment. Part two will be released on Tuesday, April 14th. Hello, everybody. This is Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. So glad to have you back here with me today. I have a really interesting guest for us today, and I am so looking forward to the interview with her. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Uh, Meg Van Dusen, and she, let me tell you a little bit about her background. Um, She began her undergraduate studies as a psychology major at Santa Clara University, and during her studies, she developed an interest in language and writing and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and a minor in German from Santa Clara University in 1985. After some years as an English teacher and journalistic writer, she returned to school to study psychology. And she actually went on to get a PhD in psychology. Uh, I want to also share with you, um, she then went into private practice and began working with children, adolescents, and adults in inpatient and outpatient settings in Los Angeles and Seattle. She has a knowledge and passion for attachment theory, mindfulness, interpersonal neurobiology, sleep and dreams inform her belief that meaningful connection with ourselves and others helps us handle stress. In her review of the literature um, and interviews, she uh, wrote a book uh, and the book is called Stressed in the U.S., 12 Tools to Tackle Anxiety, Loneliness, Tech Addiction, and More. And uh, as I mentioned just a minute ago, it's a very uh, well-researched book um, where she spoke with a lot of, um, not only spoke with researchers, but she has lots of wonderful citations um, of research supporting her ideas. And through all of this, she's cultivated a firsthand understanding of how our current American culture is creating barriers to human attachments and therefore weakening our ability to handle stress we face today. So I am thinking that you all are going to be as intrigued as I was by what Dr. Van Dusen has to share with us. Her ideas about attachment and our attachment to our nation, attachment to our culture, attachment to ourselves are really fascinating and innovative and interesting. And I will also say, I'll I'll probably say this uh, once she's uh, live here with us, but her background in English is also obvious in her book, Stressed in the U.S. It's exceptionally well-written, and I would recommend it to all of you who are listening. So we will be back on with Dr. Van Dusen in just a moment. 
Sought-after speaker and trainer Karen Doyle Buckwalter and trauma-informed school specialist Josh Carlson are coming together for a one-day workshop you won't want to miss. June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, Lessons from the Toughest Kids features practical evidence-based strategies for working with challenging children and adolescents. You'll experience engaging lecture, discussions, and role-play with proven strategies from over 25 years of working with some of the nation's most complex children. Go beyond theory and book knowledge with Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson, June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are on sale now. Visit tkcchattock.org or find us on Facebook. Due to a technical error, a few minutes of the recording were lost at the very beginning. We join the conversation in progress. Why so many people are anxious? Why so many people are depressed? These are all stressors. Um, and I'm also looking at the fact that attachment, what we know as secure attachment, um, really helps create resilience to stress. It helps us manage stress if we are securely attached. Um, but the implication, you know, as I was looking at these other studies and other statistics, um, is that uh, we seem to, you know, be losing our resilience to stress um, and that theoretically we might actually be um, less securely attached. I think there was, you know, one study done um, in 1999 that said 55% of, of Americans are securely attached. And then by 2009, that had dropped by 17% down to 46% of Americans are securely attached. And so I really started to kind of pull all the research and look at how secure attachment is really key to our handling these increasing um, stressors that we have to deal with, both increasing and unique stressors that we have to deal with now um, as Americans. And yet I think uh, there is a threat to the security of our attachments not just on a personal level, um, but also on a national level, um, in that our uh, sense of security in our own nation, thinking about our nation as a symbolic caregiver, um, uh, is also been injured. Yes, this is something I felt was so intriguing about your book. and. It's not that I haven't thought of it before. You know, I work at Chaddock, and um, we work with uh, many children who can't, uh, come from orphanage care and come from other countries. And, you know, there was one point um, where we were uh, working with a young man from Russia. And, you know, and I was starting to think, you know, here we are with these clinical models, wanting him to be, like, open and vulnerable and talk about his history it couldn't be more countercultural <laughs> yeah. for this young Russian man to yeah. let's be vulnerable, let's be soft, let's talk about hard things that happened. And yeah. you know, so and 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 I've thought about this a lot. Can can, and I've even heard people from some other um, countries say, you know. I feel like we have a whole avoidant culture. Like our culture encourages us to be avoidant, dismissive, suppressing of emotions. So it's not that I hadn't thought about that before, but for you so directly relating it to one's nation and one's country and what's going on, I just felt was so fascinating. 
Yeah, and I think that it's it's even beyond that. I mean, if we look at the fact that global warming is now a household phrase and, um, you know, our awareness of global warming, you know, began really after the turn of the millennium when Al Gore came out with his film and book, um, that is the ultimate threat to our survival, um, uh, which creates a lot of anxiety. I mean, if we don't have a home, (laughs) it is certainly threatening our security. So I think, you know, in terms of what's happening now, there are many factors. Um, Certainly there's the political divide um, that's occurring, that's impacting us. Um, but then there are these um, other factors like global warming on a, on a very large scale, and then cultural factors like the pervasiveness of technology and how that disrupts our relationships with each other just on the basic level of eye contact even. Yes. Um, you know, and, and thinking about what is that doing um, to the attachment process between caregivers and their babies um, when caregivers are on screens, particularly smartphones so much. And I'm sure you've seen, I know I have, you know, many babies, many toddlers, many kids even under two um, being strolled along with this, with an iPad in their, in their lap. Mm-hmm. Um, so really looking at the fact that we have a a unique cultural stressors right now, unique cultural factors and even global factors that could be threatening our, the sense of our security um, with one another, with our nation and, you know, even with uh, the planet. Um, And, and that means that um, we're more stressed. um, Mm -hmm. And so, the ultimate question in the book and the question that I hope to address um, is, so what do we do? Yes, yes. And so when you're talking about that, you know, attachment to one's nation and even to one's leader of a nation or as an attachment figure, I just wanted to like tease that out a little bit because when we think about Bowlby, saying we all from the cradle to the grave we need a safe haven and a secure base and if i understand correctly you know your expand when bulby said that he's meaning a person (laughs) you know um but you're if i understand you correctly you're expanding that bigger you know that that we need a safe haven a secure base in our in our country in our culture in our nation in order to thrive and we're just not having that we're we're on such shaky ground all all the time with everything that's going on. Is that kind of what you're saying, at least in part? Yeah. And, you know, you know, when you think about our language, for example, and how throughout history and across cultures, we've referred to um, our nations as the motherland or the father of our nation. um, You know, we have language that really connotes the nation as the caregiver. Yes. Um, it's pervasive in art, it's pervasive in literature, um, and again, it's it's throughout many, many cultures. Um, but I, I did want to know what the research said about that, and there isn't a lot on it, but Tara Marshall and Nellie Ferretzi really did a, a, a fabulous study. I have that marked in the book. <laughs> yeah, yes. on attachment, and they did indeed find what, you know, you and I probably, you know, would have hypothesized as well. Um, first of all, they had to validate that 
we could use these terms um, to understand attachment to our nation. So they did a lot of factor analysis with the relationship um, scale questionnaire to fit nation attachment. Um, and they also had, you know, a control. Uh, they used another scale to, um, as a control for there being, you know, certain personality traits among people that might influence their uh, nation attachment. So to control for that, yeah, so they get a better read on, you know, if people felt securely attached versus insecurely attached. Um, the insecure attachment being broken down mainly into, you know, fearful and dismissive, um, that how did that affect their identification with their heritage culture, with the culture in which they were living in, and how did it affect their overall psychological well-being? That was yes. basically self-report scale, um, yes. well-being. Um, and, you know, what they did find was that um, people who felt secure in their nation attachment felt, you know, taken care of, responded to, seen, heard, whatever, um, were more likely to be positively identified with their heritage culture, um, as well as with the mainstream culture in which they were living. Not everybody was born in a different culture. I mean, they, they, subjects were from... Some of the subjects were immigrants. Some of the subjects were people who were born in in the in the country. Um, and what they also found was that people who had fearful uh, uh, attachments to their nation um, or dismissive attachments to their nation, avoidant, um, were less likely to um, uh, you know, feel good to have a subjective well-being and also less likely to be identified with either their heritage or their mainstream culture. Yes, yes. And I do want to just specifically, I, I found this so fascinating that I want to specifically name if folks want to look this up. What they, the article they wrote was exploring attachment to the homeland and its association with heritage culture identification. Um, and, you know, the ideas that you've uh, referenced here and, and then, you know, just also um, talking about in your book, uh, I I found this sentence so interesting that they theorize that we personify nations as attachment figures or caregivers and relate to them as we would parental figures, which I know is what you're, you're already explaining, but I, I just found it really profound the way you write about this in your book. Um, and that the fearful attachment is this, I highlighted this because it's like, wow, this really feels like where we're at right now. The sense that one's country cannot be trusted to keep them safe. Yeah. And I and the reason that I started to really, you know, think about this so much was just based on my experience of my clients in my private practice. Yes. And what were you um, seeing? You know, I, I have a fairly diverse um, client load. And um, what I was seeing uh, was that there was just, and it wasn't just me, um, this was true for, you know, my colleagues as well, and, and not just my colleagues in Seattle, um, that we began to see a lot more anxiety um, uh, and particularly a lot more um, discussion 
uh, or presenting problems that were relating to things like mass shootings, um, people being afraid to, you know, go to their place of worship. Um, I saw a lot of fear among my um, gay and lesbian clients um, in terms of their sense of safety with uh, an apparent um, rise in white supremacy. Um and I saw, you know, of course, fear among my immigrant clients um, around deportation, especially um, when the new administration, you know, was uh, implementing or trying to implement the travel ban and things like that. And, you know, ICE was all over the place. Um, you know, there was just an enormous amount of anxiety. Um, and there had been even prior to this administration rising anxiety with regard to global warming. Um, parents who were having children and wondering, oh my gosh, you know, what have I done? Are we even going to have a planet for my child? And, you know, what have I done putting them in the position that I put them in? Um, I also saw an increase in anxiety related to tech use. Um, that's been pervasive. Um, people coming in wanting help um, with, you know, their inability to separate themselves from their smartphone and what seemed to be, you know, difficulty sleeping, increases in anxiety, um, and so I just began to kind of look at all of this. Also, you know, I guess the other thing and that matches the research and the astounding research recently out of UC San Diego that said that apparently 75% of us are lonely, um, that, you know, people really were reporting that. And I, I understand that these are clients, um, but this was a shift from the kinds of presenting problems I typically had been seeing, not that I wasn't always seeing a fair amount of anxiety, but it had definitely grown. And the things that people were anxious about had grown. And the um, variable of tech, um, which of course had never been a variable before, um, brought in this whole other um, challenge of really needing to help people deal with what I saw was an addiction. And so we're trying to work with people in that way as I would an addict. Yes. Well, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking when you said, you know, it wasn't that no one was presenting with anxiety before, but I think maybe anxiety about relationships, anxiety about work, anxiety about things going on with your children, you know, generalized anxiety. These kind of things are different than anxiety about these like major global things that you're talking about. Yeah, I think the, the last stress in America survey that was done by the American Psychological Association was really eye-opening with regard to teenagers and um, how, you know, nine out of ten of them, I believe it was, are worried about our nation's future um, and how the majority of them are worried about being shot at school. Um, these are not things um, that were on kids' minds, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago as much. Right. Yes. Yeah. We, we did not go to school thinking, uh-oh, there might be a mass shooting, <laughs> you know, today at school. It's, it's really hard to wrap your brain around as someone who didn't grow up with that experience. Like, it's hard to imagine what that would be like. Well, I've watched my kids go through it. And I think, like I said on the book, they've had more lockdowns than I had earthquake drills growing up in California. Um, lockdowns meaning um, there's an apparent threat on the school grounds and they have to uh, 
run an emergency intervention where all the doors are locked, the blinds are closed, and the kids are huddled in the corner in darkness, and sometimes for hours until they take care of, um, you know, the person who's roaming around with a gun or a perceived gun or whatever it might be. And that happened numerous times, especially to my younger son. He's been exposed a lot more. He's 15 now. Um, you know, throughout elementary school life, middle school, and now into high school. Um, that's a lot. And, you know, what studies have shown is that um, some of these drills, and, and then, of course, they have drills, um, mm -hmm. you know, to practice this um, in addition to the actual emergencies, and that some of these drills, just the drills themselves, of course, are creating stress for kids. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's just a big, gigantic, flashing neon sign reminder, this might happen to us right. at any given time, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to talk specifically a little bit about chapter two of your book, um, Attachment Theory and Resilience to Stress, The Problem and the Solution. And I specifically wanted to point out this uh, quote that you start the chapter out with by um, Porges, we make the world better by making people safer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that says it all. Um, so, you know, one of the things uh, that research has shown um, with regard to attachment theory, um, that it is the, you know, the, the co-regulation of affect between the caregiver and the infant that actually influences the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is one of the stress regulating um, systems in the body, the main stress regulating system in the body. Uh, and that if there is an insecure attachment, that this system um, doesn't form as well, it doesn't work as well. Um, and so, you know, the importance of understanding what creates secure attachment, you know, on a general level for um, people in general, not just psychologists and psychotherapists to understand what informs attachment, but for people in general to understand, I think is really vital, particularly, um, again, with regard to tech, because so many parents have just, you know, and I don't blame parents, um, and I have been one of them, <laughs> um, who are overloaded and trying to multitask and check their email while feeding their baby or something. Um, it's, it's just, it's scary. Um, it's, it's going to get in the way of the attachment process, and that's just on the interpersonal basis, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... Then when I think about the other larger stressors that we're facing, like we're talking about, you know, the prevalence of mass shootings um, and, um, you know, global warming and terrorism and things like that um, and creating that sense of security, I really think there needs to be more of a coming together and more of a, an understanding of how we can work on... Uh, increasing the health of our HPA system so that we can better respond to these stressors. Um, and that goes to coming up with ideas such as mindfulness in schools, 
I talk a little bit about restorative justice in schools. While there hasn't been direct research on restorative justice and attachment, um, a lot of it makes sense to me. Um, I talk about coming together, gen you know, between generations. Some of the um, there are some programs, you know, um, that have brought elderly people and teenagers together. Um, because the fact is, the research also shows that we are getting together less in person. Um, yeah. And you really need that in the flesh experience with one another um, to, you know, have that oxytocin release, to, um, you know, be able to have the kind of eye contact that, you know, Alan Shore talks about affecting the brain. Um, that, that co-regulation of affect, which primarily he's, he's addressing that with regard to brain development in infants and babies and toddlers. Um, but there is still a, um, an exchange that happens when we're together in person. So I yeah. think we have to be a lot more intentional about how we can come together more especially because we're being so divided in our country. Yeah. <laughs> together more. And um, also how we can integrate mindfulness more, perhaps into the school system, um, into corporate America, um, uh, into various, you know, um, organizations, uh, so that we can at least, you know, have a positive impact on our stress regulating systems and be a little bit more equipped to handle some of these unique stressors of our time. Yes, yes. Well, I think that's a great ending point for the first part of our discussion about this because you're starting to really touch on some of what you think is the remedy to, to some of this and to helping us with this. So listeners, I hope that you will join us um, of part two with Dr. Uh, Meg Van Dusen, author of Stressed in the U.S. as we continue. Thank you, Karen. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Dr. Meg Van Dusen on how our modern culture is creating barriers to human attachment. Part two will be released on Tuesday, April 14th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.